As we are been talking for a while this morning, we are starting our Who's Your One campaign. And a little later, what we're going to do is, first of all, every single one of you is going to get a month-long prayer guide. And this is for you to keep. And it is for you to, every day, there's a, there are 30 days of prayers that are based on scriptures that uh, you can pray for your one. You say, well, Randy, I don't have one that I can reach. That's okay. What I want you to do is I want you to pray that God will give you one. And then I want you to be open uh, and, and looking for those opportunities. I know a lot of you are like me. Quite frankly, you don't, you don't really talk to a lot of uh, non-Christians throughout the week. And so just because that's where we are in life right now, I, I get that, I understand that. But there is someone. And if you will pray intentionally, I believe that is a prayer that God will answer. You also get a bookmark that you can kind of put in your Bible and you can use this bookmark to read the verses, same verses that are in the guide. And here a little bit later, and you don't have to do this, but a little bit later on the top of the prayer guide, there's a part that you rip off. And you can write the name of the person who is your one. Or if, it, or if you don't have a particular person, you can write that I am praying for one or something to that regard. And I've got a couple of guys who are going to, I've got, um, Art, in case you're wondering where the two offering plates went, uh, they're up here in the pulpit. And I've got a couple of guys who are gonna go by and collect these so that way uh, we can be praying for your one as you are praying for one. You don't have to write their last name, just write their first name. God knows, God knows who they are. And I'm also gonna make a list of those names and I'm gonna give them to our deacons I'm also gonna give them to John and Mark, and uh, we're gonna be praying for your one all week as well. And so that's what we're gonna be doing toward the end of the service. And I just wanna talk about why we're doing this, why the Who's Your One initiative, I've, I've kind of resisted calling it a campaign. I'm not a gimmick guy. I don't know if you guys have noticed that throughout the years, but I'm just not a, I'm just not a big fan of gimmicks. I'm really not, you know, the... The road, you know, come to church this Sunday dressed in rodeo or Western Sundays or, or biker Sundays or stuff like that. I'm just, I'm just not a gimmick guy. I, I really believe that what you do to keep, get people here, you have to kind of keep doing to keep them here. And so I, I want to use the gospel to get people here. So, so that way it's the gospel that'll keep them here. And so uh, I've just never really had a lot to do with that. But I do like the Who's Your One because... First of all, we're not doing everything they tell us to do. They, they, have like a, they have like a thing where everybody comes up. We have a commissioning service and that kind of stuff. We're not, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna make a show of it. We just want to commit to share the gospel. And you know, God has been so good to us over the last few months where he has brought us people and, and not even from different churches in the community. I've never been a fan of that kind of growth, but I mean, people from literally all over, literally from all over the world, uh, you say, world, really? Well, we've got a guy from Germany here right now. So uh, he has been, God has been so good to bring us people from all over the world, but the, but the command is to go out. And, and that's what we wanna do. And so why are we doing this? And when I think of evangelism, I always think of Matthew chapter 14, and you don't have to turn there. That's not our text this morning. But I always think of Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000. 
And you may remember when uh, Jesus and the disciples are looking out over this massive crowd of 5,000. And by the way, that's just the men. We don't know how many women or children were there. I don't think it was up to 15,000. I don't think it was quite that many. But, but, you know, we are still talking about a massive crowd. And the disciples are coming up to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, the people are hungry. You've been preaching too long. (laughs) Have we ever heard that one before? Uh, You've been preaching too long, Jesus. The people are hungry, you know. Uh, We need to to let them go. And Jesus says, "Don't, don't send them anywhere. They belong here. And they say, well, they need something to eat. And Jesus tells them in Matthew 14, 16, you give them something to eat. In other words, this is not something that you are to outsource. It's not something you're just to send money to. These people are ready. These people are hungry. You feed them. And you know the story. Can you imagine what they must have felt like in that moment as these disciples look out over this huge crowd and see this massive amount of people and Jesus has just told them, you feed them and all they've got are a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Can you imagine how overwhelmed they must have felt? I think we can. I don't think we have to think that hard. Because as we look at the messiness that is in the world today, I think it's very easy for churches to feel overwhelmed, for all of us. To look and shrug our shoulders and say, we have nothing to offer. I'm talking about the addict who's tried a hundred times to get clean, but they just can't. The marriage that is only a thread away from calling it quits. The closet alcoholic that is hiding their addiction. The church that is on the brink of closing its doors for good. The one who is facing death head on and they're afraid. The parent who is completely overwhelmed by raising their children. The single mom who's working three jobs and it's still not enough to make ends meet. The prideful religionist who thinks that they don't need anything, that they're just fine. And there's really nothing in the world that they need. They're, they're comfortable and they're happy and they're satisfied. The hurting parents whose children have walked away from the faith and perhaps even cut them off. Why are we doing this? Beloved, we're doing this for those people and so many more. So many more. The, the brokenness in the world. You know, it used to be to where people hit it and it seemed like everybody was doing fine and you had these wonderful kind of white picket fence homes with, with all of these things, but now all of this brokenness is out in the open and we see it everywhere. I think it's always been there. I think people just used to hide it. But now it's out in the open and we see it everywhere. And the question is, why are we doing this? Who's your one? It's not just a slogan, that I, something I picked up from, the, from, the NA, um, from NAM. It's not the point. Why are we doing this? First of all, we're doing it out of submission. We're doing it out of submission, not to Randy Scott, not to Calvary Baptist Church. We're doing it out of submission to our Lord. And I want you to look in Matthew 28. This is our actual text, so go ahead and turn there. Matthew 28. And you know this passage quite well. It is the Great Commission. Christ has ascended to his throne, not at this point, but now he has ascended to his throne. But he is telling his disciples that that is about to happen. 
And in Matthew 28 and verse 19, he begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. And if you look at Acts chapter one, you see kind of the earthly side of that ascension. But if you look in Revelation chapter five, you see the heavenly side of that ascension. You see the lion and the lamb taking his place upon the throne of God, taking the scroll that seems to be representative of all of human history that he is now sovereign over, that Christ is now on the throne and ruling it over it all. He says, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, here's what you're supposed to do. Unlike our landmark friends, I see no transfer of authority here to the church. I see no transfer here of authority to the Pope. I see no transfer here of authority to anyone. Christ is the King and he is Lord. And by the way, that's true whether you recognize it or not. You know, I've always kind of, and I, and I understand I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna you know, uh, get in a fight over semantics. I understand what they mean, but that's why I've never really said things like make Jesus your Lord. Beloved, you don't make Jesus anything. He is Lord. You either submit to him or you don't. That's, that's the question. He is Lord. You know, that bumper sticker, Christ said it, I believe it, that's the end of it. That bumper sticker's dead wrong. Christ said it, it don't matter if I believe it. That's the end of it. And so he is all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. We do it, first of all, out of submission. We're doing this to be obedient. But second of all, we do it out of compassion. All those ones that I just mentioned, all those ones that chances are there are representatives in this church and many more. But we know that they are out there. We're doing this for those people. This is the world that Jesus has called us to speak into, beloved. We don't live in the little house on the prairie world. We live in this world. And not everything is sunshine and flowers here. Not all problems are resolved within a 30-minute time limit, time taken away for commercials. We live in a messy world. We live in a broken world. And we're doing this not, out of, uh, not just out of obedience, that's our first reason. But the second reason is we're doing this out of compassion because we have an answer for the brokenness in the world. And it is Jesus Christ. The world tries education, the world tries philosophy, the world tries politics, the world tries so many other things and all of it falls short. And by the way, the world tries religion too, even religion that shares the name of Jesus. But all of it falls short, only the gospel, only Jesus Christ is the answer for the brokenness of the world. And if we have any compassion whatsoever, then we would want to bring this message to the people of our community, right? I mean, I think we do. I think we do. But I imagine like a lot of you, the problem is a lot like, I imagine like a lot of, like me, a lot of you, the problem is we feel inadequate for whatever reason that may be. I mean, look at these disciples. It's easy for them to look at this huge crowd and say, Lord, we have nothing 
that will satisfy these people. We have nothing. Let's outsource to the government and fix these problems. Let's just give money to the professionals, the the missionaries and the church staff to do it. But that is not what Jesus has called every single one of us to do. He's called every one of us to share the gospel. He's called each and every one of us to fulfill the great commission to be a part of that great work that he has given us. As king, he has commanded us to do. And, and, and so I want to look at this commission this morning and just give you a, a few different things that you need to know about it, just very quickly. I want you to see a, a few different aspects of this because a lot of times when the great commission is preached, it is often preached as four separate commands. So for example, uh, in our Bibles, in the English, it will say, go therefore. And so they'll say that is the first command, that we are to go. The second command is that we are to make disciples, that is evangelism. The third command is that we are to baptize them, that is to bring them into the church. And the fourth command is to teach them, and that means we are to, um, we are to make disciples, But I want you to understand that the way that this is actually structured in the language, there is actually only one command here. There is one verb. There is one imperative. And that imperative is to make disciples of all nations. And so God has called each and every one of us to one commission, and that is to make disciples. I actually heard a a guy teaching this one time, and he says, some of you, you are called to go. And so he talked about medical missions and educational endeavors and those kinds of things. Some of you are called to make disciples. That's your Billy Grahams, that's your uh, D.L. Moody's, that's your, uh, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Some of you are called to bring people into the church. You're called to baptize them. And others of you are called to teach them. That's your seminary professors and such. Beloved, that is not what this command is saying. That is not what's happening here. There is one command and that command is to go. That command, excuse me, that command is not to go. That command is to make disciples. And every, all of the other things around it are telling us how we are to do that, how we are to make disciples. And so here's a few things, a few aspects of this command that I want to give you so that we will be able to faithfully, over the next few weeks, we will be able to reach our one, understanding what our commission really is. A few aspects here is that number one, we must be intentional. We must be intentional. It's not, it's not a command in and of itself, but the fact is Jesus does say to go. He does say to go. If you want to get technical, this is what we call a Greek participle. Now, doesn't that just warm your heart? But uh, what that means is, is that what's happening is that the emphasis is being placed on make disciples, but Jesus is helping them to understand that, listen, in order to make disciples, you are going to have to go. You are going to have to be intentional about it. Now, some preachers will, will say that what this, how this should really be translated is, as you are going. Have any of you guys ever heard of that? Have you heard that? Okay. Well, that's probably over translation. I don't think that's really the, the key here. 
but the emphasis is on making disciples. Uh, it would be like, uh, for example, if I were up here coughing and such, and, and I looked at my daughter Hannah real quick and said, hey, Hannah, would you go to the kitchen and get me a bottled water? Now, now here's the thing. I just told her to go, right? But what's the main request? It's not to go. It's to get a bottle of water, right? And it's kind of the same thing that's happening here that I am asking her to intentionally stop what she's doing in order to go to the kitchen and get a bottle of water. Now, what would happen if uh, I said, Hannah, would you go and get me a bottle of water? And she went and she just never came back. She said, uh, well, you know, when I got there, I noticed the tables were dirty and so I just started cleaning them. But I followed your command because you told me to go. It doesn't work like that, does it? And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's talking about intentionality. He's talking about being intentional. The going is kind of built into it. And I think there's, I think there's kind of two senses here that we need to recognize. That number one, that it implies an interruption to our lives. That Christ as king has the sovereign right to interrupt our plans. That he has the sovereign right to tell us here that our goal is no longer what our goals used to be. Our plans are no longer what our plans used to be. But our lives now, our goal is to make disciples of all nations. All authority is given unto me, therefore you are no longer your own. Your life does not belong to you anymore. It belongs to King Jesus and he is such a good and gracious king, amen? He's not a despot. He's not a, he's not a harsh king. In fact, today, we have books that we're going to give you. Every family in this church is gonna get a free book today that's here. And the book is called Gentle and Lowly. And it's all about Jesus. It's a great book. And it talks about how Jesus' defining characteristic is that he is gentle and lowly. He says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. You know, that's the only time Jesus ever talks about who he is in his heart, gentle and lowly. But he does have all authority. He does have all authority. We are no longer our own. It's a sense of interruption, but it's also a sense of purpose, not in the sense of what is my purpose, but in the sense of this is what I am setting out to do today. My purpose for today is going to be this. Beloved, if we're going to share our faith, we must do so on purpose. We must purpose our hearts to do so. Who did you purpose to share the gospel with this past week, this past month, this past year? Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And watch this purpose here, that you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. There is, there is purpose there and there is plans. And I am convinced that being intentional is the key to overcoming so much fear in evangelism. I remember I went on a college mission trip and we, I, I personally shared the gospel with 10 to 15 people in just a span of three days. And yet I'd been on that college campus for over a year and I honestly can't remember if I shared the faith with one person. And as we were coming back, our college minister kind of challenged us. He said, why were we so ready and eager to share our faith with people who lives hours away and yet we haven't shared our faith right here on campus? 
And you know, that question stuck with me through the years. I had no answer at that time. I just thought it was because, well, because I don't know those people out there, so it's easier to embarrass myself to them. But you know, there's plenty of people in Batesville we don't know. There's plenty of people in Independence County we don't know. That's not really the reason. It's not the place. One place is just as good as another. No, there's nothing, there's, trust me, there is nothing just holier about the area of Houston we were in. Nothing holier about that. I think it's because when we went on the mission trip, beloved, we were intentional. We woke up every morning with a plan to share the gospel with as many people we could that day. And that alleviated, that in and of itself alleviated so much fear, so much intimidity, so much of that hesitation that we often had because it was intentional. But as we came home, that intentionality left and we went back into our routine. What if we were intentional all the time? What if we were intentional every morning we woke up and said, I'm going to look for an opportunity to at least begin sharing my faith with someone today? What if we woke up with that kind of intentionality every morning? What if we started the week? What if every week after the sermon, during that time of reflection that I give you, during the altar call, what if every week you started off the week with that intentionality that I am going to share my faith with one person this week? What if we did that? Wouldn't that, can you imagine what would come as a result of that? The impact that would be there. What if we were intentional all the time? And beloved, that's one of the purposes of, of this initiative is to help you be intentional, is to help you have that intention. How can we be intentional? Well, pray for opportunities every day, especially your one. Take the opportunities that God gives you. You know, God already gives us so many opportunities. What about the waitress that's gonna wait on you this afternoon during lunch? What about, the, what about the lady at Casey's that you see every day and you say, hi, how you doing? And, and you just kind of walk out every day. What about, what about these ones that we already have opportunities? You say, well, I don't, I don't see opportunities. Okay, brother, then make opportunities. Invite someone out for a coffee for lunch. Always have a gospel tract with you in your back pocket. So at a moment's notice, you can whip it out and say, hey, I'd like to give you just something good to read. And that's all you gotta do. Make opportunities. Always be ready. Always be ready to share the faith with someone. And so we need to be intentional, but we also need to be biblical. We need to share the biblical gospel. Jesus says in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Again, these are not separate commands. These are aspects of the command. We are to make disciples. How? By baptizing them and by teaching them. That's how we are to make disciples. It's not four different commands here. It's one command. And the rest is telling us how to do it. This actually tells us what making disciples look like. It's not just about converts. Although if all you have the time to do is make a convert, then by all means, make a convert. But ideally, in an ideal world, it is about baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that Christ commands. Most often when we call sinners, uh, when Jesus called sinners, he called them to discipleship. Now there, was one, there were a few exceptions to that. But most often than not, Jesus did not call people to decisions. He called them to discipleship. He would say, follow me. 
And they would or they wouldn't. And this is what we are called, commanded to call people. We are making disciples, not just making decisions. Although it has to start with a decision, don't get me wrong. But it needs to go beyond that. Baptizing them, a lot we could say here, but suffice it to say that baptism is your public acknowledgement and declaration of faith. That's the point here. It's not to be confused with salvation. It is a work. But if we are talking strictly in the New Testament, beloved, someone who refuses to be baptized is someone who is refusing to admit that they're a Christian. Someone who will not make that public profession of faith. Baptism is the means by which God has given us to make that public declaration of faith that I am now identified with Jesus Christ. It is the entry of our, uh, of the kingdom. And that's why it's so important You know, I often get really discouraged when I see all these reports coming from different places, camps and such, and and you hear about all of these conversions, you know, 300, 500, thousands of conversions. And then you look at the baptism numbers every year and they budge very little. I always get a little discouraged by that. Where, Where, if these are true conversions, where are the baptisms? Where's the fruit? Where's the evidence? If there are any at all, they're in, the, they're in the single digits. This is not the kind of evangelism that Jesus is calling to here. He is saying that the way we make disciples is by baptizing them and by teaching them. He calls them into the kingdom to be part of a new creation. And in order to do that, we must not only be involved with baptizing, but also teaching. And it's clearly more than just making converts all that Jesus has commanded us to do. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. By the way, that's not just the red letters in your Bible. It's not just the red letters. You know, I'm kind of of iffy on red letter Bibles. I mean, I think they're cool, but it can kind of give you the impression that the red letters are more important than the black letters. No, every letter in your Bible is important. Every letter in your Bible is God's word. And they're just as inspired. I have more I wanna say on that, but we're running short on time. And so, and by the way, that's the Old Testament too. All of it is Christ's word. All of it is his word. Teaching them to do what? To observe. We're not, we're not just talking about academic knowledge here. We're not just talking about head knowledge for head knowledge's sake. But when we bring the gospel to them, we help them to implement the gospel and the teachings that flow from the gospel into their lives. We help them to develop hope and trust in the promise of Christ. We help them to find wise and practical ways to apply the commands of Christ on a daily basis. And we comfort them with the promise of forgiveness when they have blown it yet again. You know what that's like? to struggle with the same sin over and over and over again and just think, there is no way that God is gonna forgive me for this again. Ever read 1 Kings? Ever read 2 Kings? Yeah, he will. He's gentle and lowly. He says, come to me all you who are heavy, laden, burdened down with burdens, I will give you rest. We tell them that they can find the promise 
of forgiveness in the gospel. And every time we blow it again, every time he is there standing ready to forgive you again. This is the savior we serve. This is the savior who doesn't, who doesn't just bring us to a point of decision. We place our trust in him and he says, okay, I'm gonna move on to other people now. No, this is the savior who continues to, who continues to sanctify us, continues to grow us, continues to forgiveness and continues to intercede for us day in and day out for as long as we live until that wonderful and great day when we see him face to face and we are as he is until that time, he will keep on, keep on, keep on forgiving you because he is a kind and gracious and loving king and a wonderful savior. A wonderful savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful savior is he. He pardons my sins and he stands me on the rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. Say, Randy, I can't do that. I, I don't have the ability to do that. Well, you're in good company because neither do I. None of us have the power to do that. That's why we've gotta be intentional. We've gotta be biblical, but beloved, we've also gotta be dependent. That's why he ends the great commission by saying, and behold, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. I get tickled by some people who say, well, you know, the Great Commission, that was really just for the 11 disciples that were there. That really doesn't apply to the church today. You'll have some kind of hard shell Calvinist who will say that. And I'm like, well, do you believe he's with you today? Yes. Well, if the first part of the verse is true, if the second part is true, then the first part has to be true also. And beloved, don't use God's sovereignty. Don't get me wrong. I believe in God's sovereignty, but don't use his sovereignty as an excuse to disobey him. I don't care what label you put on yourself. If your theology gives you an excuse to disobey God, you got a bad theology. I don't care what label you're going by. And so he says, I am with you. We are to be dependent. We can't do this on our own any more than the disciples looking out on this crowd of thousands of people with only a few fish and a few loaves looking out at this and saying, there's no way we can do this in the same way. Beloved, we need to get to the point as a church where we look out in this broken and dying sin-cursed world and say, there is no way we can do this. We're just a little church. We're just a small congregation. We can't do this. And beloved, when you get to that point, you're exactly where God wants you to be. You're exactly where Jesus wants you to be. You realize Jesus told 11 men to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what? They did it. And they did it in less, as far as we can tell, the known world, they did it in less than one generation. You say, how did they do that? That's a sermon coming up in the next week or two. You'll have to come back for that one. But you know, what's amazing about this promise that Christ is with us is that it shows up in key times in the gospel of Matthew. At the very beginning in Matthew chapter one, verse 23, the one who is to be born, the one who is to redeem us is called Emmanuel, God with us. Us. Christ is God with us to redeem us. 
to save us, to give us that supernatural birth like his was. That's the whole point of the virgin birth is to tell us that if we want to be born again, it must be a supernatural birth. Flesh only gives birth to flesh. We must be born of the spirit. And so he is God with us. There's another key point in Matthew chapter 18 in a text talking about church discipline, talking about the purity and the holiness and the, and the, and the fight against sin that all of us has, that all of us are here in the church helping one another, helping, uh, depending on one another, uh, sharing with one another, uh, helping one another with the sin that we're struggling with in our life. And Jesus says that where two or three together, there I am, What? with you. Christ, he is God with us to purify us and to make us a people that are holy, to make us a bride that is without blemish, presented holy unto him. Christ is God with us in our redemption. He is God with us in our sanctification. And here at the very end, Matthew ends his gospel with Christ saying that I am with you always. He's with us as our redeemer. He's with us as our sanctifier. And he is with us in our mission to the world. Christ is God with us. He is with us. And so when we go to share the gospel with someone, we do it dependently. Beloved, you cannot save a person, anyone, not even your own kids. At best, you can create Pharisees. At best, that's what you can do. Only Jesus Christ can change a heart. Only Jesus Christ can take someone who's dead and make them alive again. Only Jesus Christ can bring a dead soul to life. Only the gospel can do that. We don't have that power. And so we need to be dependent. So why, why, who's your one? There are three kinds of Christians, I think. When it comes to evangelism, I think there's three kinds. Number one, there's the defiant You've already determined you're not gonna share your faith with anyone. You're comfortable, you're happy, you got everything you need, you don't need anything else. And beloved, quite frankly, there's not a whole lot of help I can give you. If that's you, I don't have anything for you. You need a change of heart. And only Christ can do that. But there's other kinds of Christians that they are the zealous they are the ones that, and we've got some in our church where just about every week, uh, I'm thinking of one individual, every week just about, he's, he's telling me, hey, pray for me. I just shared my faith uh, uh, over social media with this person, or I just shared my faith here, or, or I've done that. And, and quite frankly, sharing your faith with one person over six weeks, quite frankly, it's gonna slow him down, all right? So who's your one is not for him because that would slow him down. I don't wanna do that. But I suspect that most of us, if not all of us in this room are people like me. We wanna be better witnesses. We want to share our faith. And yet, for some reason, we just feel inadequate. We feel like we want to do it, but we just feel like I've got something holding me back. And if that's you, 
You just need that little extra push. You know, just that measure of intentionality, just that measure of, of giving you that extra encouragement, the extra prayer, the extra uh, accountability. If that's you, then who's your one is for you. Who's your one is for me. Beloved, I'm not doing this because I think you need it. I'm doing this because I need it. And I want you to help me to intentionally share my faith with someone over the next six weeks. And I wanna help you. And so what we're gonna do this morning, I'm gonna ask, uh, John, you've got your, uh, you got your voluntoads ready? Okay. Uh, what I wanna do is uh, I'm gonna ask some teenagers to come up here. And like I said, we've got two things. We've got a bookmark and we've got a prayer guide. And this is for every single person. And so, uh, come on, don't be shy. So every single person, I want you to take a prayer guide and a bookmark, okay? And you're going to take this and you're going to, uh, let me come up here. These guys are tall. Um, you're gonna take this prayer guide and you're gonna use it, just kind of put it in your Bible or something, or if you're worried about the spine, put it, in your, put it in your Bible cover or whatever. And you're just gonna use this every day. It's just a prayer guide. Uh, and by the way, the verses that are in the prayer guide are the same verses that are on your bookmark. And we have scheduled every single day on Facebook, the same verses are going to be posted on our social media as well. So if you don't have your prayer guide with you, you don't have your bookmark, and you're like, wait, what were the verses for today? Look on our Facebook page. You will find it there. Every single day, they're gonna be posted. And uh, Mark's actually been working very hard on that to get all that scheduled, and he's done a wonderful job. So I appreciate him for that. And so in a minute, I want you to think about who's your one. Now, hopefully you've already been thinking about this, but who is your one that you are going to pray for this month and you are going to share the gospel with and you're gonna use that prayer guide every day to uh, pray for your one and to intentionally uh, look for opportunities to share the gospel with your one. So we'll give that just a second. Okay, from here, here's what I want you to do. And, and you don't have to do this, okay? Uh, but if you want us to pray as the leadership, myself and the deacons, if you want uh, me and, and John and Mark uh, to pray for your one, to help you pray for your one, what you can do is you can tear off that tag there on the end of your bookmark. And uh, John and Brian, won't you guys come on up? Okay. <laughs> so uh, take just one more minute for John to write your name on your card. Uh, don't write their last name. Um, just write a first name. God knows who it is. And again, if you don't have one that you're thinking of, just pray for God to give me opportunity for one, okay? Or, or something in that regard, all right? And uh, we're gonna ask you, if you're willing to, and if you want some others praying for your one as well, uh, go ahead, guys, go ahead and go on through. And we're gonna ask you to put that card with that name on it in the offering plate. Again, you do not have to do this, okay? Uh, if you just wanna pray for your one privately, then you can do that. There may be reasons why you need to do that, and that's okay. So any reason at all, really. And every week over the next four or five weeks, with the exception of one, 
we are going to be in our sermons, we're going to be talking about different aspects of sharing your faith. You know, I, I told you we're going to talk about the power of reaching one. How did 11 people reach the whole world in one generation? We're going to tell you how they did that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what is the gospel? Is it just a, a personal testimony or is there actually content that they must believe? And we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, we're going to talk about some other aspects of the gospel. You know, things like how do you reach someone who uh, believes they're saved, but they, but they really have no fruit and never have. We're, we're going to talk about that. And so uh, all of those things. And if you need some help learning how to share your faith, then tonight at 530, we are going to be beginning uh, some evangelism training. One other thing. Crossway Publishers, somebody donated to Crossway Publishers so that churches could ask for 200 copies of a book called Gentle and Lowly. And so I took advantage of that. We've got 200 copies of it. Actually, it's like 204. I don't know why four, but anyway. So, um, but we have that. And what I wanna do is during this month, while you're sharing your faith, uh, this book is a wonderful book that is just all about the heart of Jesus Christ. And so every family in the church, we're going to give you this book. So just one per family, please. Uh, but then after that, we're also gonna give this book as a gift to those who visit us for the first time in the church. Again, this did not cost the church any money. They even covered shipping. So we didn't even have to pay shipping for this. It was totally free. Uh, and so and we're gonna take advantage of that. So West Baptist has taken advantage of it as well. So, uh, so this is a wonderful book that I think will really help you to see the heart of Jesus Christ. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. Uh, let's go ahead and stand. Now I'm just gonna ask you very quickly, who is your one? Are you willing to make this commitment? Beloved, I wanna make this very clear. You are not making this commitment to me. You're not making this commitment to Calvary Baptist Church. You're making this commitment to Christ. That over the next six weeks, I will share the gospel with one person. Can you imagine if every single person in this room over the course of the next month or so led one person to Jesus Christ, the impact that that would make. It's amazing. And so beloved, we're not asking for much. We're just asking for one. And they may respond, they may not. The, listen, the results are not up to us. It's not your job to save them. It's just our job to be faithful in sharing the faith with those around us. So beloved, I'm gonna ask every head to bow, every eye closed, and I'm not, we're not looking around. If you're making this commitment, would you raise your hand? Amen. I see hands all over the room. Amen. So Father, we ask you to honor this commitment we've made this morning. I ask you, Lord, that you would take this commitment that we've made, take these principles that we have said, you will make them alive. You will make them challenging. And Father, I pray for each and every one of our ones. You know, already I've decided it's the lady at Casey's that knows me as the Dr. Pepper guy. Lord, I'm going to share my faith with her. And I pray even now that you are preparing her heart 
to hear your gospel and respond. Lord, this, this initiative is not for everybody. There are, there are some who for, for various numbers of reasons, they feel like they can't do it. That's okay. But Lord, I pray you would give us faithfulness as a church, as a community of faith to your great commission. And Lord, give us a zeal, a holy zeal so that we will, will take the gospel to the world, that we are not a museum for saints, but Lord, we are a hospital for sinners. Let's leave with this challenge this morning.